I'm Ashley Larson, and today our special guest is Kenner Larson. Welcome, Kenner, to Art Gap. Hi, thanks for having me. Kenner Larson is an artist based in Portland, Oregon, with a primary focus on the impermanent qualities of Pacific Northwest landscapes. Her work explores historical ideas of the landscape and supports ideas around environmentalism, as well as contemporary relationships with the natural world. Larson grew up in Salem, Oregon. She received her MFA in painting at University of Wisconsin-Madison and has shown her work in venues in the United States and New Zealand. Larson is past Signal Fire Caldera Sisters, Oregon and New Pacific Studios, Masterton, New Zealand, artist in residence. She is represented by Ogden Gallery in Portland, Oregon, and teaches at PNCA in Portland State University. Welcome, Kendra. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Hi, Ashley. How's it going? Good. Today's a kind of a special episode because usually you're interviewing people, but you are a full-time artist and teacher. Yeah, it's nice to be on this side of the interview. Yeah. Um, how was your weekend, and how's your day going, Oh, good. Um, just, you know, sticking around the house and we repositioned our living room, which is kind of exciting. I feel like, you know, I've this pandemic has gotten me really um, connected to our home and this on this other level. And it's, it's just nice. Um, we, we are lucky to live in such a nice house and a nice neighborhood. Yeah. What about you? How was your weekend? It's good. I was thinking, like, yeah, this whole indoor more often thing is, like, it's kind of fun to kind of touch up things in the house. And I actually ordered some new furniture, so I'm really excited about that. And Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and we've been watching a lot of movies, and I just saw There Will Be Blood. Have you seen that? No. It was, like, it's from 2007, and it's pretty intense. But it's good. It like sneaks up on you, but it's a good one. Hmm. I have to check it out. We just started watching the uh, Queen's Gambit because you told us it was good. Yeah, I love it. What do you think about it? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It kind of has that Goodwill Hunting kind of vibe to me. But I've only watched one and a half episodes, so I don't really know how, where it goes from here. But it's pretty good. Yeah, the episodes are pretty long, which is nice, but we've, like, I don't know about you, but I've gotten so used to, like, fast, short episodes that sometimes I'm like, whoa, this is so long, but mm-hmm. it's good, Michelle. Yeah. Yeah, but let's get started. Being my sister, I do know some about you, but it's kind of fun to hyper-focus on, like, your work and, like, how you got to where you are with your work and what makes you kind of tick in your work and what you know inspires you so um do you want to describe who you are and what you do sure I'm an artist and educator in Portland Oregon my primary medium is painting my studio is behind my house in a two-car garage that we've converted I paint every day um primarily acrylic sometimes oils when I'm not in the studio I'm um, thinking about painting, or I am teaching painting and drawing, or I'm spending time with Oliver, four-year-old, or my husband, Christopher, um, or family. 
Um, we spend a lot of time hiking, um, a lot of time outdoors. As far as my work goes, it's really influenced by the history of landscape painting as well as the Northwest landscape and the feeling that is very different here than other parts of the world. There's a, a crispness to the air here. There's a, a mystery and curiosity of, of the natural formations of this area that I think is really exciting to explore through paint. I've read and I saw this video about you know, politics and landscape painting. And it, it's, you know, when you first look at landscapes, they're really boring. And a lot of people write them off. But but really, they're, they're very complex. Um, they, they reflect our relationship to the land and to nature. And that relationship is one of consumption, of fiction, of reverence. It's in our religions. It's in our literature. It's, it's part of us. And so, so I feel like landscapes can hold all those different narratives at the same time. That, and that's exciting to me, trying to be a part of that conversation, that exploration. Yeah, it's it's neat because you're right. Like, nature is always changing too, right? So, like, there's the same tree's going to be there, you know, for years to come. But the scenery around it is constantly growing, regrowing. Like, so it's really interesting when you look down at it. But one thing that really sticks out to me, and it I'll never forget, like, you had friends from Wisconsin come to your wedding. <laughs> yeah um your wedding was at silver creek falls and it was so funny because everyone's environment with nature is different depending on where they live so like people like a few of your friends commented they're like wow there really is a lot of amazing like moss here or something like that and it was just funny because it's like you know their environment could be like whoa their snow is extremely like couple feet of snow like we don't get that really here so it's like they notice things that we see every day whereas like they may not see at all totally yeah depending on where your environment is you have a different understanding and thought of it I don't know if that makes sense but yeah yeah it's like um it's like what we take for granted is part of our identity our identity is strongly connected to that sense of place and landscape and and so, yeah, I, th I find that really fascinating. I thought you were going to say that they just were excited about the waterfalls, the silver falls. Too, but like, you're, that was another thing that I thought of. It's like when I went to Wisconsin, I'm like, well, I don't know if it's just a certain part I was in, but I was like, it is so flat here. Like, I didn't realize how much, like, you get used to mountains and hills and when you go somewhere like Madison and it's, like, super flat, you're like, whoa, you notice <laughs> it. It's crazy. And um from the work I know of yours it definitely speaks to the northwest mood and feel um but you know so going on to the second question in your statement you say Edward Hopper once wrote about Charles Birchfield's work from what is to the mediocre artist an unseen layman the boredom of everyday existence in a provincial community he has extracted a quality that we may call poetic, romantic, lyric. By sympathy with the particular, he has made it epic and universal. 
That is what my paintings do. Reignite wonderment and shed light on the sublime by way of the everyday. What are some ways and examples you add wonderment to your paintings? Well, I'm just thinking like what you said about the flat landscapes in Wisconsin and um, versus the kind of the mountain ranges here. It's, it is enough to cause someone fear, right? Like I can imagine someone from the Northwest or whatever, going to Wisconsin and being kind of frightened by the flatness and vice versa. You know, if you're used to a really flat landscape and you come to an area where these there's giant mountains everywhere, it could be it could be frightening. And I think that that fear that comes from being in a new place or the fear of certain kinds of landscapes, um, I think that that is connected to what we call the sublime. Um, sublime in a sense of awe when you're in a space and it is so breathtaking that you um, you're a loss at a loss for words and it, and it reminds you of how small you are you know uh, how how powerful the landscape can be um, and I guess that brings us to the second question too is that um, I think of those things when I'm painting and I know that my paintings, I mean, will always fall short of that sublimity that you feel when you're in, in, in such an amazing space, but I like trying anyway, <laughs> you know, it's like, like, I know I'm going to fail, but it's all about the effort really trying to mimic that sense of the sublime. Um, and, uh, you asked me what are some ways and examples you add sub wonderment to your paintings, I guess, um, you know, being aware of certain places that cause that feeling in me, that sense of wonder, the feeling of being a kid again and being like surprised and excited about something new. Um, so remembering those spaces, but also thinking about how, how amazing paint can be too, and how surprising paint, paint can be, um, you know, playing with the application of paint, playing with layers, um, trying new color palettes out, all of that, I think, um, gives me a sense of wonderment and hopefully provides that for my viewers too. There's two things I want to touch on with your paintings. And one mm -hmm. is, um, it's interesting because you're, they're very realistic in some sense, but then mm -hmm. to me, the wonderment comes from like the pops of color or unnatural things within them. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say all your paintings have that, but that is kind of a neat little added touch to like a, like a painting that may look almost like a photo and then you add like a bright pink or like add some color. Where does that come from for you? Or like what, what is that, where did that idea come from or what do you think that's about? Um, I'm just looking for the right words. <laughs> um, so the quote that you mentioned was Edward Hopper talking about Charles Birchfield's work and how he basically, what was exciting about his work was that he created um, kind of a visual poetry, like, you know, the street outside of his house and elevated it to this next poetic, romantic, lyric level by, by his brush strokes or his color palette. For me, when I exaggerate the brush strokes or abstract the colors, it's my way of elevating what I, what I see and feel. And when I put in colors or objects that aren't there in the visual world, I'm 
I'm actually trying to make visible some a feeling or an emotion or a history that's not visible. So um, it's like the sound of a cricket, you know, that I, I know there's a Birchfeld painting where he's painting the sound that a cricket makes. And I like that challenge of trying to paint something that's not actually seen in the real world, but is sometimes felt. Um, and I guess some people might think of that as like a spirit. I'm not a, re a religious person, but um, but I'm not afraid to explore ideas of the spirit either. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it because like I'm thinking back in, on your paintings and like you'll add like a real realistic feeling mm -hmm. and there'll be like a neon shed or something mm -hmm. with like beams a different color coming off of it. Mm -hmm. That touches on like kind of like the color that I know saw in your paintings and then also two other things is texture like throughout the years of your work I've noticed you've used anywhere from fur to like um, the plaster things to really add um, texture which is really interesting to me and then also um, it's hard to portray through digitally but your paintings often are very big in size too mm -hmm. so do you want to touch on those two things sure I had this moment in grad school where someone asked me why I wasn't working with oil paint and I thought about it and I you know, I, I like oil and I like acrylic. They just, they both have very just different processes attached to them. But really the question got me thinking about, well, what is paint? Really any paint is anything that you can put onto a canvas. It's any viscous material. I mean, we don't make our own paint anymore. As artists, we walk, we walk down to the art supply store and buy it. So, so what's the difference between that and putting tar on your painting or putting a joint compound on there? Um, it's like, it's just another visual language or another part of the visual language, I guess. And so, um, I, I, I mean, the reason I do it is just because it's interesting and it's surprising. And I like paintings that from one distance kind of read one way and then you walk up and you're given this whole other experience, this whole other feeling and I guess formal reward. So we've touched on like color, texture, and then also... Oh, yeah. 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 Do you want to kind of touch on like some of the sizes that you painted? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've painted mostly large four by four foot and larger paintings. Um, the last few years have been a little bit smaller. And I guess I, the reason I like large scale paintings is I really enjoy painting large because I feel like the size of my mark that I naturally, my body wants to make is larger. Some people, I think it's smaller, but I think that what I innately want to do is larger marks. And so if I, if I increase the size of the painting, the ratio of the size of the marks of the painting is more interesting. That said, I have been playing around with some smaller pieces over the last few years. And um, it's kind of just a different experience of making. I feel like larger paintings have more of a presence. They could be all encompassing of the viewer's eyes. So there's a different part of that experience for the viewer too. I think smaller pieces are maybe more intimate. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I mean, that's a good way of putting it. Like when you're standing in front of a huge, like bigger painting, you're more surrounded in it. Whereas like a smaller one, you just are just kind of 
yeah, it's just a different feeling. So. Yeah, and it's a different struggle too. I feel like a large painting, your body can be more free, but there's more space to reconcile. With a small painting, you're it's a lot more stifling. It's you're using your wrist more. It's um, it's less free. It can be it can be overworked more easily, but but it's small. It's easy to store. <laughs> so there's pluses and minuses of both. So your main medium that you like to work with is acrylic, right? Is there any medium that you would like to work in that you don't at the moment? Or well, I've done some sculpture in the past and installation, and um, I would totally be interested in working with those again. Um, it'd be really exciting to work with glass. I think that would be kind of fun. Don't forget your animation skills with Oliver. Oh, yeah. Stop motion. There's a, Ashley, you should get this app. It's really cool. It's just this little stop motion app. Yeah. Fun to mess around with that kind of stuff. Totally. I love like William Kentridge's work. I think I've shown you his stuff before, but he does these like charcoal stop animations. Really cool. Nice. Um, fun to mix the, the art worlds, you know. Mm -hmm. um, has your work or process surprised you at all do, during um, this pandemic? Um, I, I guess I'm surprised how well teaching has gone, first of all. I've been teaching out of my studio lately too. So my PSU classes have gone online, PSU and PNCA classes, and it's going really well, actually. It's got to be weird to like think, like, who would have thought an art class would be online? Like, we never thought that would be a thing. It's wild. A few years ago, I was thinking about, oh, maybe I should promote my classes and try to do them online. And I, I talked myself out of it. I was like, oh, it's never going to work. But then now that we've been forced to do it, it, um, I found a way and it's working really well. It's I'm surprised at how many students seem like they're actually thriving in this. Maybe it's just the, the art student actually. <laughs> they all would rather work at home. Uh, Maybe it's like, I don't know about you, but do you think, like you have your studio that you work in. Do you think that maybe some of them are more comfortable working in their space maybe? I think so. Yeah, I think so, and I think that if they if they're in the classroom working, they are all, they are acutely aware that they are on display, they are working in front of other people, and I think that, that can be really overwhelming for some students. I think at the very least, it's annoying. At the very most, it's like, it's um, it's crippling in a way, you know. So about it too, like when I did art classes what we have like two hours it's like you kind of just get in a rhythm and then all of a sudden you have to pack up all your stuff and go mm -hmm. like maybe they have it where they could leave it and kind of not feel like they have to pack up everything and start all over and i don't know just mm -hmm. yeah i think that's totally valid i mean i think i noticed that the other day i had a class and we wrapped we wrapped it up i i had to go to another class but i was like you guys could stick around they're like yeah cool so that, i think that they just hung out like in a zoom meeting and just like continue to work on their paintings but then had the zoom meeting going so they could chat if they wanted to but um so that's one surprise i guess is that how well that's transitioned and and i don't miss driving and i don't miss parking and i i mean i feel like i'm a better almost a better teacher too because i'm 
feel like I'm not on display in the same kind of way. Um, so I think that's definitely something I've been surprised by, by this pandemic. And as far as my, my own artwork goes, um, it's I have been surprised in the sense that um, I started out the year strong with a lot of studio visits, actually, and um, working on these two by three foot paintings. I had, I think I did like 20 of them. And then the pandemic hit and I started to work on paper. So I've been doing smaller eight by 10 drawings. Um, started with oil pastel um, little sketches of fireworks. And then when the um, wildfires happened, I was so struck by how the smoke impacted our lives that I started to draw smoke. And I, and I really just enjoyed this one photo so much that I've been drawing it ever since. So for like the last three months, I've been drawing the same image, just with different color palettes. And so I find that's really, that is really um, giving me a sense of peace to have something I, first of all, do every day. And second of all, I don't have to think about the composition. It's already there. I already know what the composition is going to be. So it just gives me this freedom of color and texture and value and all the other fun things to play around with. Honestly, I feel like I just needed something that I feel like the pandemic really shook everybody up, shook everyone up. Even though my schedule and my life didn't change as much as a lot of other people's, it still, it still kind of changed everything, right? And so um, I decided that I just needed a ton of one size paper um, and something to do every single day, just as like, um, it's almost kind of a exercise in, c in controlling what I can. If I can't control anything else, at least I could do this one thing every day of doing an oil pastel drawing of smoke every single day. <laughs> yeah, that kind of, maybe this is going in a different direction, but I'm just curious. Um, with your paintings, do you have an emotional tie to them or is it just strictly um, painting what you see in nature as a real basic? Yeah. Um, that's funny because I was just talking with someone else about that the other day. Um, when I, so I'll start a painting. Um, usually I'll use photos I've taken or photos I found and I've connected with in some gut gut level and I'm like I just know that it's going to make for an interesting painting or interesting painting process and I'll start the painting and I find that the process is, is always a challenge but I feel like the process goes much better when I have established uh, an emotional resonance I guess with the painting so if the painting has exerted a certain kind of mood then it's easier for me to to finish the painting <laughs> Um, I have a painting right now in the studio that I can't I can't figure out what the mood or emotion or narrative is, and so it's just eluding me. I've been working on this painting for like six months now, and I can't find I can't finish it, or I'm I'm having a hard time finishing it. Yeah, it hasn't hit you in a way that you know what it needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could play around with the formal qualities all day, but until it tells me what emotion it wants to evoke it's not it's it's hard for me to call it finished i was just thinking about that because um you know we've interviewed people similar questions but like like heather we were asking her she's 
you know, does her paintings chronologically, you know, mm -hmm. in series. And I noticed, like, you have series of paintings, but I didn't know if they are a journal type thing, kind of like they are to her, or if it's, um, if that's even something that crosses your mind of how you portray or think about your paintings. Yeah, so I normally work in series, and sometimes they're influenced by books. So I had a whole series on um, Sometimes the Great Notion, and another series on um, my abandonment. Um, and other times I've had, I have series based on subject matter, like the fireworks series. But yeah, I guess lately that is something I'm kind of, I'm, I think I'm in between series right now. And, and the pandemic has got me to this, it's made me slightly frazzled in a way that is hard for me to pinpoint what the series is, if that makes sense. Here's my self doubt gonna come out all over the all over the place. It's gonna spill out all over the podcast. <laughs> I guess that's what I kind of do is I paint a bunch of different things and then I choose one to kind of drive down on and and do more paintings about. I had a painting teacher, R.V. Smith, that told me once, "Don't think about it, just do it. If something comes to mind, paint it, and then you can figure out what it means later." And I feel like that's what I'm doing right now is I'm just painting a bunch of things, and then later I could figure out what the series is about and I could kind of pursue it a little bit more clearly yeah and it's kind of that idea of like being in the moment more not trying to plan it out too much yeah just like Heather was saying yeah it's like yeah living in the moment so we asked tons of people to this so I don't know if you've had time to think about it oh god <laughs> if you had a superpower what would it be um it would be teleportation for sure. Teleporting around in, in current day, or would it be like time travel teleporting? Oh, my gosh. Can I have both? <laughs> That'd be, I was thinking teleportation just to travel around the world, but if I could also travel through time, that would be, yeah, sure. Yeah. And actually, you know, it was kind of interesting going off that question, too. Like, I like to add this on since you know, the last interview, but, like, what superpower do you think you have? Hmm. This is a hard question to answer without sounding completely, like, pompous, you know? Like, I'm so amazing. But uh, I think that my superpower is the ability to uh, not sweat the small stuff. I, I think that when I was younger, I used to be a little bit angry and uptight and um i think the older i've gotten i think because of oliver i've gotten to this place where i just i don't sweat the small stuff you know just like keep the eye on the larger picture i think that's i think that's what i'm good at and i think that helps with everything it helps with teaching keeping things positive and exciting in the classroom and same with the studio it keeps things exciting and, and moving forward yeah i feel like that's a good thing to, to remember too just from day to day i think you helped me with that a lot actually because yeah our relationship i feel like you've you've taught me that uh, well it's uh -huh. not procrastination about <laughs> 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 as like i don't sweat the small stuff <laughs> <laughs> Is that your superpower, is procrastination? I don't know. I don't know what my superpower would be. 
like that I already have. I'm in my head a lot. And I think that was touched on in the last interview. It's like, yeah, I, I think a lot in my head. And like, maybe I need to be better about expressing that verbally to the people around me. Because it might come across as like, I don't care or that um, I'm uninterested. But really, I'm just like, I have a million thoughts going through my head at one time. Maybe a little bit of attention problems. But <laughs> that's probably just a creative person's you know, mind in general, they just think too much different ideas and projects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like what's next for you and what are you excited about? So uh, I guess what I'm excited about is that I, I have a new catalog of my artwork with a, an essay by Richard Spear. So the catalog is called Kendra Larson, Otherworldly Light. It's a 1200 word essay about my life and work and Richard is way better at writing so uh, it's really good and then it has I think 40 color images so it's a pretty cool catalog um, and it's available on my website or through Ogden Gallery so that's one thing I'm really excited about um, and then I did have a show um, on the books for February down at the Umpqua Community College Gallery with Tamara English and Sean Demarest, but it is postponed until December of 2021. So I guess it's good that they didn't uh, cancel the show. Oh, and I have an online show right now. I'm in a group show in Wisconsin, <laughs> which is kind of funny to say. If it's an online show, is it really in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or is it kind of everywhere? It's kind of everywhere, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of the nice thing about the times we're in is things are reaching further than they may have reached before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's one of those virtual galleries, the Frank Juarez Gallery. and um, Is it the one where you got like stuck on the wall, though? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you like move forward and then you end up in like a corner of the gallery and you can't get out. It's awkward. <laughs> but But it's kind of cool. Uh, the artwork is the the other artists in the show are really good, so I feel lucky to be showing alongside them. Nice, and we'll yeah. we'll post all the information about this for sure. Um, yeah, that actually brings me to a question, and you don't have to answer like because you can't speak for all artists, but like I'm not a professional artist, so it's interesting as I do this podcast more and more. Um, how hard artists actually like I mean I know you guys work hard on your art but like outside of that like applying for grants writing up you know statements about your work like all these things that I don't think I mean I'm embarrassed to say but I didn't really know that I mean I, I kind of knew but didn't know I, I guess I learned all the time like an artist isn't just someone that's putting their work out. There's mm -hmm. all that goes behind it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people always understand. Like, I, just witnessing your work about, like, how much you apply for grants and how much you self-promote in that way that I don't know that the average person would really know that about professional artists. Yeah. I mean, it's really, like, 50%. 50% of your time is painting. And the other 50% is 
you know, writing about your work, um, promoting your work, putting up a, ga- uh, a website, applying for shows, applying for grants, applying for funding, other kinds of funding. There's residencies to apply for. There's, you know, curating. This show that I mentioned in Milwaukee is actually curated by another artist. So, yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of unbelievable how much. Because, I mean, a lot of people get to enjoy the final product, right? So yeah. People, I mean, maybe and that's where it's kind of fun as we go along in this podcast and we try to educate people. Because I know it's not something I really mm-hmm. talk about. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like I'm complaining about it. It's actually kind of can be fun, you know? I mean, I like writing, and I... and I, Complain. I would just say it's a side of the job that people don't really know. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's a lot. Um, oh, and then everything takes time to learn, too. I mean, I'm sure there's people that listen to this podcast that are professional writers, and they hear me saying that I enjoy writing. It's... You know, like the piece that Richard Spear wrote for that catalog is a hundred times better than anything I could write. So even though I enjoy it and I do write a lot, it doesn't, it, it comes nowhere near the people that do it for a living. I think the, the opposite's true as well. You know, when, when um, so-and-so decides that they're going to design their own logo, I hope that they also learn that maybe they should have just hired a designer to do it. <laughs> I'm sure Nick sees, hears that all the time. Oh yeah, like even even myself, I've tried to design a logo, and it's like I can't. I could have an idea, but I can't do it like a professional would. <laughs> yeah, and actually, there are people that do promotions for artists. There are people that do grant writing for a living, too. That's that's very impressive because, like, being a small business owner looked at grants and they just like overwhelm you a little bit so it's very impressive um, that people in the art world do these all the time like that's very impressive to me because like I look at it and I'm just like oh gosh where do I even begin with this well and you have to apply for a hundred before you get one of them a lot of times at least in the art world um and that's another thing in the art world, you know, like you, you probably experience a ton of rejection mm-hmm. and people see the finished product of what got accepted or what got into a show, but they didn't see the hundreds of other pieces that you put out before that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Just some behind the scene things that I don't really want to, I feel bad that, you know, I don't know, I didn't always think about those things. learning about that. I know you can't speak for every artist, but I'm just really curious. No, and that's like, yeah. I feel like that has to be the same with other professions, though, too, right? I mean, there's like, I'm sure there's a lot more that, whatever. I'm sure there's a lot more that plumbers do that we don't see. <laughs> behind the work, all the behind the scenes that we don't see. Do you really want to see some behind the scenes? No. <laughs> oh man on that note um, thanks for being our guest today <laughs> and then also I think I should add if you want to see her current work too she has painted on the windows of Aiden's shop 
uh, why we haven't done that sooner, I don't know, but I don't know, right? I really would like to keep doing it. I mean, I'm not a professional window painter, but I would love to keep doing it. It's fun. Even if just for trades. So if anybody wants to like, I don't know. I was thinking like a bakery. I should, I would totally do a bakery and then just trade for cakes. <laughs> I'll paint your window for a cake. I traded you for hair. So hey, you know, we need to get back into the trades. Of I know. So yeah, but you could follow us at stumptowncreative.com slash artgab. And you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Facebook, Instagram. And thank you for joining us today. We hope you have an art-filled day. Mm-hmm.